So you look back at this hard time and thank God that this hard time happened that led us to this happy moment. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking today with Shireen Sala, who is an Arabic instructor here at Brigham Young University, originally from Egypt, also a busy mom. We were discussing how many hats that you wear. Shireen, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. You have been, over time, a translator, a curriculum developer, and I wonder if you tell me just a bit about your background and experience in Egypt. I graduated from a language school, private school that focused on languages more. So our first language was Arabic, our native language, and then we had to take like a couple languages, which was English and French. And then I uh, graduated from high school and I attended a, like a, an English language and translation college in Egypt. I started my professional life, I guess, when I was in college. I got like into an internship. Yeah, and I felt like that to be the first one among my friends to get like hired because I one of this internship ended up with like a full-time job there in Egypt so as a as a translator and a, an administrator in an oil company did your family always really value education was language just something you just felt really interested in well m- my dad he used to tell us like Okay, so let me just first tell you that in Egypt, like the education system, that the schools, there's many like different schools. There's public, there's private schools. So usually private schools are more expensive than the public schools. So the private schools require money. My dad was just like an accountant. He's not like very rich, you know, but he chose his battle. He said, I can either save you money in the bank so you can use it later, or I can use this to invest in you and just have you attend private schools and learn a couple languages so you can have a good position in the society later and you can make your own money. So he decided that, you know, that education, this is a great investment in any kids. So that's why we grew up appreciating and knowing that education is the valuable weapon in this world, I guess. Yes, yes, yeah. Um. And he himself attended a business school and a law school himself. So he he always would advise us to take education is the most important thing in this world, like in this life for us. It's, It's the strength that we have to come, you know, to have in this life, to have a better life, a good life. I wonder, as far as faith and belief, what was that like for you in your childhood? Uh, again, I feel like we're we're influenced. We're influenced more with my dad. Like my mom was was religious to by my dad. We learned the faith from my dad, from mm-hmm. my father more, I guess. <laughs> I remember when I was little, I would just wake up every morning hearing him reciting Quran, which mm. is the holy book, out loud in the house. And you just like every single morning at 5 a.m. in the morning, you would hear the Quran recitation in our house. And he would go every single day to the mosque to pray like the fourth and fifth prayer of the day, which is the, the fifth one is really late actually at night. I mean, it's at night. So he would just have it as a habit. I would see him go to this prayers and just every single day until after he retired. So this probably 
shaped how I see my religion, you know. And you knew he took it very seriously. Yes. Yeah, and I <laughs> I always hoped that this busy life would give us more chance to be like him. He was very busy, but he he managed to find time for the religion, you know. I don't know. I feel like he was was even better than us now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a good man. Yeah, he was. Was there some point at which you thought, well, I've been taught this, but now I'm at the part where I have to decide what I really believe? What was yeah. that like for you? When I first learned about God was through my parents. You know, it's the same as in any kids, you know, you just, you introduce religion to your kids and it, it depends on like where you, you grow up. You know, and and I always ask myself now, what if I grew up in different place with like different parents? Probably I'm gonna be like LDS or like a Jew or like because it depends on like where you grow up, right? Uh-huh. But when at certain age you start read yourself, school like, and you grow up, you you get like your first religious education from your parent, then school. In mm-hmm. Egypt, they teach religion in schools to some extent. And most of the time, it's actually aligned with what your parents would, would teach you. It's, mm-hmm. There's nothing different. But when we start growing up, it's we start read more. And we would, I personally, has found out that it's not what my parents taught me, but the, the society, that it's there's a mix between the culture and the religion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And this... This made me like read more to make this distinction between what is religion and what is culture. Oh, you know? that is such an excellent distinction. Yeah. And when you read about different culture, different like Muslim country and they have their own culture, you would have doubts. It's like, okay, so they actually practice religion different than I do. So sometimes like, so I had to read more and just say, oh, that's not actually religion. This is culture, you know. Hmm. that it just overlaps. <laughs> so yes, yeah, there's some there's some part that I had to reconsider. There's some part of my religion that I thought it's religion, but it's not. It's actually culture. Were there particular things, and you'll have to help educate me, but for instance, the five pillars mm-hmm. of Islam, are those things that you hold on to to feel like you're in touch with God? Or do you Get that from some other personal practice or, or attitude. To- you know, the five pillars of, of Islam are the core of mm-hmm. Islam. So we have as Muslim, like in, or in order to be a Muslim, you have to, to abide by these five pillars, you know. And you cannot compensate that with anything else. It's to be a Muslim, you have to, to practice and believe in these five pillars and also to believe in all prophets, you know. So there's, there's foundation there's like mm-hmm. core of this religion that all Muslim across like the one and a half billion Muslims, they, yeah. they have to abide by and follow to be a it, Muslim. Those would be the prayers. The prayer. Fasting. Fasting. Paying, giving, giving alms. Like, the, like tithing, the mm-hmm. same as tithing in the LDS mm-hmm. uh, church. Um, and believe in God and the Prophet Muhammad. Mm. So so this is the five pillars of Islam. There are different kinds of prayers, I think, in every religion mm-hmm. for different people. And some might be prayers that people recite that are traditional. Mm-hmm. And then there might be personal moments of, of prayer. And I'm yeah. wondering, for you, do you feel like that's a kind of communication? Or is that, a, 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 is that even the way you approach prayer? Yeah. You know, we believe that the closest time— to God is when you pray, 
when mm. you do your five prayers. Mm. So we feel like this is the closest moment, you know, that you feel like you're so close to God and you can ask for, for anything. But yes, there's some other time, like at night in my bed, I just like pray to God for something or mm. like, you know, because it's always like. It doesn't have feel, to be formal. No, mm. it doesn't have to be. But I mean, like we, we feel like when we, when we pray, this is the closest time to God. But also there's some, because we, we believe that God hear like he hears us all, like, you know, all the time. He listens to our prayers and our deeds and everything. And I'm, he feels us. He feels that, yes, like he, every minute in our, like a moment in our life, he's there. He's, he's, he's around us. He sees us, you know. Hmm. So, no, it doesn't have to be formal. You know, you can just, as I said, I can, can be at night, like, uh, like praying for something. So I can just say it like, oh, please, God, you know. I'm smiling because I think me and every other parent is thinking heartfelt prayers in bed, for instance. My child is not home. They're supposed to be home. Yep. I, hope, I hope this is okay. Yeah. All of those prayers. Yeah. That are, or you just like hope for something for someone dear to you or like oh, or for yes. your country, for your – for everyone. Just, you know, sometimes you just sit and just like have like this conversation between you and God and it's – yeah, it doesn't have to be formal. Are there times that – that you would say, I felt like God was leading me. Now that I look back, I see God was leading me. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in the moment, I had a prayer and a choice to make, and I felt led. Okay, so I believe in God choices. Like, yes, we are free to choose, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like God lead us to this to these choices. As you consider... Yeah, when you look back, like being here in the U.S., for example, when I look back... And I just like, this meant to happen, you know, this meant to happen to me, this this particular person, which is my husband, mm. and get married to him and just like be here and see how our future here has become, like it's, it's, it's a good, like it's a good life, you know, and for my kids. So yes, God, God made choices for us, some like most of, or lead us to make ch- choices. And most of the time it's good for us. You know, even if we sometimes we there's something happened in our life and we think, oh, that's that's so bad. But later, when something good come out of this, you feel like, oh, it's God. Like he 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 led us for this to happen, and then we ended up in this like happy like you know. So maybe it, now you think it's okay. Yeah, and it's and and you know. There's so many stories in my life and in my family's life would we think at like a hard times, why this is happening to us? And you just like, because you're in it at mm-hmm. that moment. But after that, you would just, when something better comes and you're just like, whoa, this is God's choice. So you look back at this hard time and thank God that this hard time happened that led us to this happy moments, you know. And, you know, I, I see it. I see it a lot and lots of experiences in my life. And my family's life. So then does that make you, when you're in a difficult time, trust that things are going a good direction? We try. We try. We're human. <laughs> we, we trust God. Like we, like, unconditionally, we, we trust God and his choices for us, you mm-hmm. know. But we, again, we're human. We just like feel sad at the hard moments. Uh-huh. But maybe that's, that's even, this is what God makes us feel. Yes. Interesting. To, Yeah. Because it's the human feeling, this what God give us this human feelings, right? Like being sad or happy or, 
Yeah. So maybe in this life, God us want us not to be having everything in this life. We just like, okay, you need to learn that there's this life. There's some difficult moments that you need to live to appreciate the good times. What are the things that bring you the most peace? Uh, listening to Quran probably, mm-hmm. or talking to God, speaking to God, like at night. This is probably like something, or just like keep reminding myself that this is God. He's there. He's mm-hmm. he will not like he's he's gonna be always there for me. But praying probably and listening to Quran is like the the most. I feel like this is the most peaceful moments for for anyone in any religion. Mm-hmm. You know, for those for the believers, you know, or all believe believers of all religions, just like the peaceful moments and when they get closer to God. Yeah. So there are daily prayers which can be done personally, or you could go to do that communally mm-hmm. as a mosque. What is different on on the holy day of the week? Here, or, <laughs> yeah, or both? Yeah, both here or. or I mean, in, and and here's here's gonna take us back to like you know the overlapping with like culture and religion. So Friday, which is the holiday, yes. like the the Sabbath for for Muslims, you know, it's different. You can just like it's the same feeling that you have here on Sunday. We still have a Friday prayer here, and you just feel it inside the mosque, like when mm. we go do like our special prayer. You just feel it inside the the mosque, the speech that were given by the imam or the leader, you know, that is always like, you know, most of the time directs you towards good things and, you know, ad- address some of the issues Muslims have. It's different in fact that it's it's holidays, it's off, you know, it's um, people get ready for this special prayer, you know, mm-hmm. and I always see like here in the, in the LDS community, like how Sunday is just like something big in religion like people get ready for it like dress the best of their clothes and just like you know and have this spiritual day then we have the same in on friday we just like men or women would just like wear their best clothes and just go pray the special mm-hmm. pray to be within the community so it's so this day brings community together and this is what most of i mean all religions are meant to be i mean like we're meant to be like this in any religion. Yeah, it seems like there is something very important about being with others. Uh-huh. And I've I've wondered And it's 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 called guma. Guma is like the gathering. That's mm. that's the meaning of like, you know, the guma prayer is like, you know, the the it's the gathering. The word guma coming from jamma, which is the plural or like the gathering of people. And it seems like that also gives us a chance even to know other people's needs and to be able to serve and oh, be able yes, to help. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so then you, you meet with your neighbor, your friends, you just like hear about their like problems, their stories. Their... So yeah, it, it this this holiday, this Friday prayer and, you know, ritual that we do, it brings the community together. You've done something that is difficult for some people. Well, it's always difficult to move and deal in a whole new language, but you've moved to a place where your religion is in a minority mm-hmm. here in the U.S. Do you feel like you've had to suffer at all because of that, because you do follow the tenets of your faith, or is that not an issue? Uh, 
<laughs> uh, maybe suffer is the wrong word, but have there are there difficulties? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's just uh, yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same of being in the, in the in a Muslim country. In Muslim countries, you hear the the, the call for prayer five times a day, and mm-hmm. this is a challenge for us and for the kids. You know, just to to have like you know instant reminders, like okay, there is like prayer coming up. You know, you get busy with life and Put an alarm on your iPhone or something. yeah, yes, yeah. This this is how this is how we handle this. You know, mm. but it's just like the sense of the this like the spiritual feeling that you get hearing the call for prayer from each corner of the city. You know, I don't know if you've been to the Middle yes. East, but it's just so very special, very spiritual. And knowing that everyone around you just like have the same kind of and turning faith. their turning their minds to God all at the same time. Yes, and it's and and they do the same thing. They celebrate the same holidays. You know, like during Ramadan, for example. This is this is probably the 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 hardest <laughs> hardest part being here. It's just like because it's the Ramadan months of Ramadan is not only fasting. It's it's the family, it's the community. It's you know there's. So much going on in this like spiritual month that we don't experience here. We try to create somehow a like similar setting, you know, but it's not always the same. Raising kids in like non-Muslim, you know, environment is a challenge sometimes, you know. But also, I have to say, like being in Utah is like makes things a little bit easier because the similarities between the LDS Church and the hmm. the Muslim faith is like appreciating family and like the modesty. Like there's so many in common. I personally believe so. It's makes the the mission easier on me. <laughs> you know that might be a time moving to a, a different country where someone might just say, "Well, this is difficult. I can't keep up. I'll just sort of." Forget about it. But it seems to me that this has made you more committed. We try. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm like, you know, <laughs> we try. We do, we, we do our best or we do what we can do. Yeah. You know, we, we always try. But yes, but we are like, you know, and we and we help our kids to be committed to the to the religion and have them learn, learn about the religion. And at the same time, we're not isolated from them, the community. Because part of our religion is to communicate with other cultures and other religions. You know, there's nothing wrong to be different. And this is what we teach our kids. It's not like we're not isolated from the community because we're Muslim or from a different faith. No, we actually like go to the LDS <laughs> events. Today, I'm invited to a Relief Society dinner and I'm going. <laughs> so this is the gathering of the women's group. Exactly. And I love it. It's just wonderful. Just a bunch of wonderful women and, you know. And when you live in a society that respects religion, regardless of this religion, this makes our life easier. I don't know. I haven't tried to live in in different state or different, you know, among other religious group, but but I don't think it's going to be easy. Now it's the move. If if I decided to move to a different state, for example, that mm-hmm. it's not like very religious, I will have to think twice. My husband came before me here. So he knew. Uh-huh. And I was afraid, honestly, you know, to come. And I started my all my marriage life here. But he, he has seen how this, like, community is. And he told me, just don't worry. You will feel, like, safe. You'll be freely, you know, exp- like, uh, practice your religion. And, and he was right. What do you think about the fact that there are so many religions and cultures all across the world? It's diversity. I don't know. I, you know. 
I'm asking you a question no one really has an answer to, but it's fun to hear what you think about it. What what I think about, like, different religions? Just the fact that there are so many. Uh, I don't know, but, like, here's an issue, and I don't know if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you this, you know. The problem is every religious group think that we're right, the rest are wrong, right? Exactly. That's 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 no in our in, in my religion as well. That this is what each church or like religion think. We're right, you're wrong, you know. But I came to the conclusion is we're all right. We're all like we all worship the same God, but we just like worship from different angle. <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? So it's it's fine. Like it's fine to have different religion as long as we all agree that to abide by the good rules, the good deeds that in our religion, you know what I mean? And, and those seem to be in common. Yeah, there's so to, many to, in common. To, to, if, to treat people as you would yep. wish to be treated, uh-huh. all of that. And when you when you go deeper in like all religion, actually like read in different religion, you would find so much in common than the differences. At the end of the day, as I said, like we worship the same God, you know. Maybe the, the like certain religions see God that way, I see it that way. But at the end, it's, it's one God, or maybe two or three, but still God. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to. Yeah, so. don't want to limit that. Yeah. But I, I think it is interesting, especially if someone gets the chance to travel and see all the good people doing good and being motivated for good by what they believe. Yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. Use use religion to be good, to be to be like a a good member in this world. That's all. Mm. It doesn't matter which which religion you belong to. Yeah. Have you ever had a time when you thought, maybe God isn't even there, dealing with doubts? I think as humans, we all have moments of doubt, oh, doubt and yeah, wondering. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Like, it's it's something that we we have experienced, like, thinking, and, and even our kids. And usually we have, you have these doubts when you're younger, you know, and when you start reading and, like, you know, and um, knowing more and experience more your religion, you know, you have doubts. And these doubts are good, by the way. Because the more you have doubts, the more you read more and the more you uh, know the truth, you know. Uh, But yes, yeah. Yeah, I I had doubts that like, what if God even, this is something that doesn't exist even. Like, and we just like made it up. (laughs) (laughs) We're sure spending a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I, I had that. But and this always led us to read more. Mm-hmm. Not only about our religion, but different religions, you know. Interesting. Anything that I should ask, but I don't know to ask you, that, that you would love to say about your personal relationship with God? Yeah, there's uh, there's some moments that you don't feel like you're, that you're getting what you want. And you're like, you just like, in your mind, you're just like, I want it, and I want it now. I want it, I want it now. <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> yes. this like feeling, you know. And then like after some period of time, it just, it comes, you know. And you always say, yeah, it's God. God is there. He listens to me, but he decides that, that he's going to give me that wish or this thing, but at the, the right time. Hmm. So it's... We will get it, but at the right time. Or even if we're not going to get it, this is this is probably good for you. And, yeah, it happened to me, like, 
without mentioning detail but yeah I prayed for something and it just like it took forever <laughs> not forever I mean it just took us like, yes. like took me some time to be answered my prayer to be answered and and when when this prayer was answered it was answered perfectly it was just like even more than I prayed for so this this makes me have more faith in God and what he what he keeps for me and good for me and my family but we we always pray we all pray because we I feel like we human are greedy <laughs> we always ask for too much not like materialistic but like just we love to ask and by the way like in we believe in our religion that God wants us to ask him more like you know he, he wants us to keep asking him because this will keep us close to him interesting yeah yes so he wants us he let's say like ask me and I will answer you pray for something I'm gonna answer you Shireen Sala, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for speaking with us in good faith. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll explore the meeting of Azan, or Muslim Call to Prayer, and a panel of engaged listeners will discuss some of the ideas presented by Shireen Sala. Back in a moment, In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of the show, we heard an interview with Shireen Sala. Among other ideas, she mentioned the feeling of comfort and inspiration she feels when she hears the call to prayer echoing from many places when she's in a Muslim city. Shireen is a teacher of Arabic at the university level, so I decided to ask Sage Smiley, one of Shireen's students majoring in journalism and Arabic, to help us understand the meaning of the call to prayer. Sage, you must have had that very same moment, whether you were in Jordan or Qatar, to hear that call all over the city. Definitely. One of my favorite experiences was sitting at the citadel in the middle of Amman and listening to all of the mosques have the azan, the call to prayer at the same time. It's a really moving experience. Five times a day. Yeah. It's, I mean, it moves the rhythm of life over there. Well, I wonder if you'll share with us, if you wouldn't mind, reading the lines in Arabic. I know they're repeated twice when they're sung, mm -hmm. but if you would share them, read them in, in Arabic and then the line in English. Absolutely. So the first thing that you hear is probably the most famous line. It's Allahu Akbar, which means God is great. And then after that is the line Ashhadu anna la ilaha illallah, which means that there is no other God but God. Then it says Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasul Allah, which means I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of God. Then after that, Hayya ala al-salah which means hurry to prayer, come quickly, it's time to pray. And then, Hayya ala al-falah, which means hurry to success or rise up for salvation. After that, they say Allahu Akbar two more times. And then, La ilaha illallah. And then in the morning, this is kind of ironic, in the morning they add on the end of that, As-salatu khayrun min al 
which means prayer is better than sleep. And I can say from personal experience, I'm not sure I felt that all the time when I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and hear the call to prayer, but those are the words of the call to prayer. And you mentioned the rhythm of life, so that daily activities are planned around these calls. It depends on how orthodox of a Muslim you are when, if, you, if you're going to pray five times a day. But yes, there are breaks in university. Teachers will take breaks if they're going to pray five times a day. People will wake up, like I said, at 4.30ish in the morning. I mean, it depends on the time of year, but 4.30ish in the morning to pray. And then we'll either go back to sleep or just go straight to work. And so really life is structured around these calls to prayer. Prayer, reading holy books, singing, serving, so many ways to access the divine. Which ways reach you or help you reach God? We invited several people to listen to the interview with Shireen Sala in the first half of the show and then share their thoughts. Marcus Smith grew up in Southern California, is a musician, a gardener, a radio professional, and above all, a husband and father. Marvin Payne is an actor, guitar picker, and writer who lives in a cabin in Alpine, Utah. Tiffany Esplin is from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She's a horse lover and is one semester away from graduating with her MBA. Mark Burns is originally from Buffalo, New York, Moved to Utah to teach at BYU, he works at BYU Broadcasting and is the host of the Special Collection show on BYU Radio. Our panel listened to Shireen Sala, then talked about the ideas she shared. Shireen talked about when she felt closest to God, and that really spoke to me because I think about this very same question a lot. And In fact, I think sometimes maybe the question is even more important than the answer, when do I feel closest to God? She seemed to be closest or feel closest when she was really participating in two specific ways. She talked about prayer being one of them and the other when listening to the recitation of, of Scripture, the Quran in, in her life. As soon as I heard that, I realized that there are times in my life when I'm just sitting there wishing God would kick in and be there for me, when I'm really doing nothing about it, I'm not actively pursuing it. Those are, are very active, at least mentally, those are active things that she's, she's doing when she feels closest. And I, I suppose that's instructive for me that I need to not just wait for that spiritual thing to happen in my life, but I can actually do something to set the conditions that might be the right conditions for God to, to, to work on me. I would add as well to what you just said that I thought it was interesting how when she talks about prayer and uh, reading the Quran that it's not as solitary, it's, uh, it seems, as it might be in my own particular faith or in most Christian faiths. She kept stressing community as well, that one of the things that brings her closer to God is doing the same kind of worship at the same time with, uh, you know, a group of people as well that all are kind of like-minded believers. And there was something about creating that kind of community that seemed to be crucial for her in terms of feeling what you were talking about. She talked about community a lot, but she didn't, in doing so, in any way diminish the private prayer experience too. She, yeah. she, she goes there a lot. I was uh, – I, I, don't, I don't know much about Islam, but I, I was impressed by the – by the private personal aspects that she was discussing and sharing with us, uh, I think 
courageously and 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 clearly and beautifully but i was really taken with this community focus um it, it began with i believe her celebrating the sabbath how that was such a, a, a gathering sort of a thing it made me it made, it made me think uh, about about my understanding of the Sabbath and and how all of a sudden oh yes that that gathering is 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 precious, but that opens up an interesting uh, an interesting question for me that that came into my mind as she was describing the beauty of being in uh, a Muslim environment where you hear the the, the call to prayer five times a day and, and and that everybody everybody that hears that has a response to it and and um, ideally that response is uh, is a common response and something that everybody shares and I was challenged uh, I was challenged as an American because we work to avoid, I mean, we work studiously to avoid ceremonies that seek to unite people on the basis of a common faith, because that's that tends to we, we think of that as as exclusive, excluding people, alienating people. Or, or maybe there's just the rugged individualism of the American character, where we we prize that, and our heroes are often just really strong individuals. Well, yeah, but 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 even but but transcending or or perhaps corroborating that uh, the you know the folk the folk valence of that is is the Constitution, <laughs> and and I just I, I just thought how. If I were, I think that if I were to visit a, a Muslim country, that 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 call to prayer would not uh, would not alienate me. It would not exclude me. I wouldn't feel excluded. I, I think that I'd feel called to prayer. <laughs> Maybe not to 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 fall into that particular or to conform to that particular uh, uh, method of prayer, but but to to. To take a moment and and say, "Oh yes, I'm a child of God. I need to consider that for a moment, whether I actually pray or not." It's just that five times a day reminder. And and the question that 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 arose for me was, is there something we can hold in common as Americans and not fear to celebrate, not fear to exclude? not fear to alienate or not fear to violate the spirit of the Constitution. I want to pick up on that just briefly, which is that she talked about an interesting tension between sort of the the call to conformity versus the individual impulse. She talked about her schools. She said her parents would teach her this. Her schools would usually teach the same thing. And yet when she had doubts, she wanted to read more and study more and sort this out to sift it out. I think every child across the globe will inherit the cultural or the religious or the collective wisdom of its community and then have to come to terms with the fact that they are actually an individual within the community and they might differ. They might have doubts and they're going to have to sift and sort it out. And that tension seems inevitable whether I'm Muslim or Mormon or Catholic or whatever I, I may believe. People will want to present me with, do this now. 
it's prayer time or the call to church or whatever it is, the expectation that I will conform at some level. And uh, as you grow up, maybe this is adolescence. I don't know. This, uh, it's just human adolescence. You get a little resistant and you have to think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read up on this. I'm going to see if this is really for me. And so uh, I, I sometimes wonder if um, that isn't a universal reaction to just social expectation. A religion is no stranger to imposing social expectations. She, she hinted at that. She, she celebrates it, though, as you were saying, Marvin. She does celebrate it. I also think the, the culture plays a big impact on how we feel about ourselves and our beliefs and – Specifically, when she mentioned she was scared about moving to Utah, Utah is very cultural-based. It's very strong in religion. And I, as a, as a single older person, experienced that, that cultural almost – I can't think of the word. But dissonance. Pressure. Yeah, or? cultural pressure, dissonance. I've related a lot to her anxiety about the possibility of being alienated because of who she was, not just her religion, but because of she's she's an outsider. And I think as Americans, as people of different faiths, we need to be sensitive to different circumstances because that can really affect not only religion, but it can affect a human being and their life and how they feel about themselves, how they participate in the community, all of those things can affect. So I think what I gathered from her, just her brief mention of her anxiety about coming to Utah was she wanted to be valued as an individual, not because she was Muslim, not because she was married, not because she had children, but she wanted to be valued because of who she is and her contributions to society and to people in, in general. She, she handed us a grand key that would help us to enable us to do that effectively, which was the distinction between the religion and the culture, which she didn't present as any kind of a – she didn't present it as a grand key. She just presented it as, as a discovery of her own that she needed at a certain point to – to look for the distinction between her religion and her culture. And it seems to me that that would be pretty good advice <laughs> to take. I agree. And, and the fact that she was willing right from the start when she was speaking with Steve to talk about certain things are foundational, mm-hmm. that sort of gives the idea that the religion is not a mishmash. The religion is very specific and there's some things you're going to hold dear and yet there are these sort of accretions or there are these add-ons that we pile on. And I, boy, do I see that in my religious experience where I can be at church one day and realize that somebody sitting next to me thinks of something as foundational that I consider to be really very peripheral. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then I have the problem of, of feeling like the outsider, maybe like she does in Utah, you know, that I have the problem like, well, well, what am I going to do with this now? Because I can't necessarily – just buy into everything the culture is offering me. Yeah. I like that she wanted, like she encouraged searching. She said the doubts that she had motivated her to search and to study. And I think that's also really good sound advice because just like you were talking about different cultural implications on the foundational principles, but people who are outside of those 
that's their golden ticket is to study out for themselves and figure out what their foundation is. She, she used the verb to read, which I thought – she said that when it was time for me to really sort this out as I was growing up, she said that I would read more. She said that multiple times. I would read more. And it makes me wonder um, – what do you choose to read, you know, uh, to what sources of potential information? For her, clearly, she heard the recitation of Scripture, of Quran, from her father. And, and uh, that's a beautiful image. At five o'clock in the morning, hearing him do his reading al- aloud as a child. I suppose we all come with a sort of baseline of, I'll call it indoctrination, where we inherit from either parents or from authority figures, the school, from the society, we inherit what is kind of baseline, and then it's time to read, according to her. And I, I'm very fond of that. I remember growing up and having doubts. And if it wasn't about Santa Claus, maybe it was about, really, you, I'm supposed to give money to my church? Money? Money is hard-earned. I'm not so – I have my doubts, you know, that kind of thing. I thought her, her whole uh, response to the, the issue of doubt was just so – grown up, you know, so non-adolescent. And I'm going to characterize adolescent as, as rebelling, as, as uh, sort of savoring forbidden options. <laughs> Whereas for her, the doubt motivated her to, well, she did, she did as, she, she was doubting her doubts rather than doubting her faith. So it was her doubts were not an excuse just for acting out the way a teenager might. Yes, it was a motivation to explore the faith. Yeah, like something that should be embraced instead of feared in some ways. Yeah, that, that believing is a higher good than not believing. You know, just that basic idea. You're listening to a conversation in good faith with a panel of listeners sharing their thoughts after hearing an interview in the first half of today's show with Shireen Sala from Egypt. Now back to the conversation. I'd be interested in knowing what you all think about her emphasis on religions all worshiping the same God but from a different angle. She's talked about we all sort of abide by the same basic good rules or rules of goodness. Yeah, it's just I'm, I'd be really interested in hearing what you have to say because I, I mean, we, we come together to have a conversation about faith and I think any normal person would want to find something in common with somebody else rather than just to be alienated from them. Well, C.S. Lewis asserted something that united people of all, of all persuasions and cultural backgrounds was a sense of common decency. Common decency was was this idea that he that he thought was kind of innate, and and I think different belief systems might give that common decency a name, a spiritual name. I know that my faith would give it a name. That's part of our of my particular articles of faith. But that common decency, Lewis felt like it was there in in, in everybody, and I wonder if if that. <laughs> If that could be the thing that we could celebrate and ring bells about and have a call to the celebration of common decency five times a day, you know, to actually execute that is, is logistically problematic. But, but just the idea of believing in something that we can all believe, that we can all say, yes, that's good, and agree on and start there and somehow – 
celebrate well, that. Well, you've given an example of that. When you said that if you were living in a place like Cairo and you heard the call to prayer, mm-hmm. you would see it as a summons that you could take personally, even if you didn't necessarily pray according to that method. Yeah. Um, I think I think our human tendency is is often less charitable than seeing how that call could speak to you from a different faith. Well, perhaps, and 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 I feel like I am biased by the Constitution, <laughs> which says, you know, don't exclude anybody. You know, not only freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. And sort of honoring that at all costs. It just seems like that it's it's a critical freedom. It's a it's a vital freedom. And it's one that I that I think the Lord inspired to be there. But it is a real limiting freedom in in some in, in some ways in terms of in terms of really creating and enjoying community and an association and a celebration of of common values like the sabbath does or like the call to prayer does in in an environment where it's okay to kind of publicly celebrate your faith yeah i would love to believe that that's true for the United States, but I don't know if that's exactly what she's pointing to because as you were talking, it just occurred to me that she's got this great emphasis on community, but it's really a community of like-minded Muslims, kind of in the middle mm-hmm. of a bigger community. So I guess that, that community can still be a, a part, right, of a national whole of people worshiping like they want to without persecuting others, you know, for doing what they do. Or choosing not to worship at all, if yeah. the case be. But I do think it's a community of Muslims that she's talking about that's so um, – we, you know, we're saying the same thing probably just well, in different well, ways. But. I would just say that she also talked about visiting in her LDS community, the Mormon Relief Society, that organization of women where she's invited to participate socially, and she did that wholeheartedly. And yet you know that at that gathering there will be deep expressions – of faith and the presence of a sense of insider outsider no matter how hard you try to come together but yeah yeah i'm grasping at what she might enjoy spiritually at her and she society. is too and i think that's you the know. point she goes into that looking for society looking for community among yeah. religious strangers or people with religious differences mm-hmm. her mindset to me clearly is one of an openness, a gesture of openness towards things that are different. Not to say that she's going to adopt wholesale what other people believe or think, but she wants to rub shoulders. She's looking for commonality instead of the difference. And she's focusing on the good of the people and the other religions rather than, at least this is my assumption, rather than the differences and magnifying the differences and thinking they're negative. She's looking for those nuggets that she can relate to and enjoy in her new community. And her husband even reassured her before she came here saying, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to find a welcome here because he came first, right, in the story that that she came over to the United States after. Mm -hmm. So it occurs to me that what she might really be seeking, right, is not so much community within a Muslim kind of subgroup, but communities, plural, that she feels clear joy and I assume a kind of a spiritual feeling when she participates with other Mormon women in this 
kind of community, and then there's a different kind of community as well that worships on on Saturdays on her Sabbath, and it might be her ability to move between communities and to feel at home in multiple communities. That in some ways is the uh, the reason that she appears to be so happy. And doesn't that feel <laughs> so doesn't that fit right well with her job as a translator to have, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, have yeah. a passport between communities? <laughs> Something that seems fundamental about this whole program is the exploration of why somebody believes, why they believe, uh, not even so much why they believe what they do, but why they believe. Why do they have faith? Why do they choose faith? And something that I'm sort of feeling real warm fuzzies about down inside is is that as I consider uh, her expression of faith and, and, and the things that she shared, she didn't say why she believed. She just said, well, my, my father was an influence and then I went to school and that was an influence and I mean she, she the the fact that she does believe was very clear she clearly said that but she didn't talk much about why she believes I think that I'm going to I'm going to guess I, I feel that why she believes is that she's good and and prizes prizes good and is looking for good and I just wonder, as as we look around at people who might believe differently than we do, how it might help us to consider, wait, they believe the way they do because they're good. They just, they believe, period, because they're good, because they are reaching for good. I think that was most manifest to me when she was talking about praying that people are hoping for something. And then she said, or hoping for something for someone who is dear to you. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the outward uh, compassion for the benefit of others. It's not self-serving at all. It's, that's the goodness you're talking about. Yeah, that's, that, that says goodness. I mean, that just bears testimony. You, you, you can't bear testimony of your own goodness. <laughs> but she kind of did. Inadvertently. Inadvertently <laughs> and unintentionally simply by stating what she believes. It just reveals so much goodness about her. And all of a sudden, well, why does she believe as she believes? Well, becomes irrelevant because because that's why. You know, another thing you mentioned, we don't really know why she believes necessarily. I mean, at least she's not explicit about it. But one thing that really struck me as she was talking was how personal God is for her. I think because I don't know a ton about Islam, when she began to talk, I was surprised that the God that she worships is someone who designs particular experiences for her and who can be accessed through prayer and who's listening to her when she prays. And that there's something about the rituals of Islam that when she enters into them as part of a community, she clearly has a kind of a personal connection with God that, uh, again, I – I feel like an idiot admitting this, but I, I just didn't know that that's how Muslims necessarily thought of God. I thought that was more of a Christian kind of approach in some ways. But she just taught me that, you know, no, I mean, her religion helps her to feel the presence of a personal God who knows her and loves her and is directing her life, you know. In many ways. Even even if the road there is somewhat obscure and you don't see it till well after the fact. I mean, she made a big point of that, didn't she, Tiffany? Mm-hmm. That sometimes you don't know it's a good thing that's happened to you until way down the road. And then in retrospect, you can say, oh, God was working 
in my interests. I like how she said that he leads her choices. She believes he leads her choices, and sometimes it gets really hard, and she wonders, "What in the world? Why? Why is this happening?" And then it's the after where she's like, "Oh yeah, I see God's hand in this now," and I could resonate with that a lot because there's often times where I'm going through turmoil or whatever, and then after the fact, I see the grand design. Of, okay, that makes sense now. But in the in the midst of it, it's it's hard to focus on that. And I would say that the greatest challenge to people's faith on this point comes when they feel that they're just one of billions of people. Mm-hmm. And whether whatever your faith, whatever your religious background, whatever your upbringing, the idea that a God could be concerned specifically particularly about my needs and hopes and dreams, that's a, that's a big pill to swallow. And I, I think a lot of religious people, in my experience, in my observation, that becomes just a bedrock premise. They just march forward with, well, God does care about me, and I'm just going to go forward, and I'm going to pray to him, and he's going to help me because that's what God does. He loves me as, and knows me personally. Or That particularity, uh, that's huge faith. And when I have my doubts, that's often where it, where I feel subverted when I'm not when I'm, I'm I'm wondering is God there for me particularly? It's huge faith, but it may not be universal. I think we're there's a kind of a happy development here that Shireen and I think the people at this table uh, happen to agree <laughs> on this whole thing of that God does relate to us personally and is conscious of us. But there's a whole there's a whole world of believers who may not actually believe that, who worship and celebrate and revere a divine creator. But they wouldn't see God micromanaging events in their own individual lives. Or even conscious of their individual lives. Just, you know, I've made this thing because I am good. I am the sum of all good. I have made this thing for you. Enjoy it. And now, I'll, and now I'll step out of the way as it just kind of runs itself. Yes, you know, yes. For the next several millennia. Yeah, as it runs itself or just to see how, how, how you do. This is my gift to you. So, so celebrate me from time to time. Believe in me. Uh, clearly there's room for that because people think differently and they're going to – some people will see a God who is invested in the individual outcomes of individual person – individuals' lives. She, for her part – it seemed like a bedrock thing for her. It may not have been one of the five pillars of Islam, but she is instructed among those things that she's supposed to pray. Prayer is a pillar, and she's made prayer intensely personal, it seems, as well as communal and celebratory with her community. In which I find great comfort and great uh, linkage with Shireen. But just as we consider the whole world of faith, we might be... Probably in a majority, but still not. It's not universal, is it? Yeah, and I don't know that that's a requirement to be a believing person. I will say that although it's not a requirement to be a believing person, that, boy, I wish I was more like her. <laughs> I mean, that that sense of one-on-one relationship with God seems to be really meaningful for her. And that's the kind of relationship I kind of wish I had more of than It's irresistible. Does. It really is. And Islam is the last place I would have guessed 
would help you to develop that kind of relationship. I, I mean, I don't know if she's unusual in that way or if she's typical of many other people in her faith. I'm guessing the latter. And I, I find it to be just kind of astounding, personally, that you could uh, you know, have a religion, raise someone like Shireen in it, and by the time she's middle-aged or however old she is, what comes out the other end of the entire process is this caring, committed person who feels such a close relationship with the God that she worships every weekend. Well, having, having read the Quran, it does, it does lead its readers in that direction. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, and especially to Shireen Sala for her thoughtfulness and generosity in sharing with us. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell about their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation, and we welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out to us anytime via email, ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find all of our shows archived online for listening and sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here in Good Faith.